Shabbat Shalom. Recently, I had the most interesting conversation with one of our now seventh graders. I asked her what advice she would give to rising sixth graders about how to be successful in middle school. I figured she'd say something like, pay attention in class, make sure you do your homework, something that had helped her to be successful academically. Instead, immediately and without hesitation, she said, sometimes it's hard to fit in, but if you try really hard, maybe you can. Her answer pulled at my heartstrings. I remember that feeling of being in middle school, knowing there was a group of cool kids that I was not a part of. I remember all the ways I contorted myself, thinking if I just behaved in this way or joined this club or said this thing or wore these clothes, then I would be accepted. I remember being bullied mercilessly and with shame, I remember the times that I would see someone else being bullied and I remember my first thought was, thank God for once it's not me. The idea that I would do something that would alienate me further from my peers was horrifying and filled me with dread. That fear, though it has quieted through the years, is still with me, still within me. I hear the voice of my inner sixth grader speaking. And as I was talking to this young woman, I was also remembering the words of advice that Rabbi Rami Shapiro offered to newly minted rabbis when working with teens. He says, what kids want is someone to help them find the wisdom that will help them to get through middle school with the least amount of embarrassment and brutality. Sadly for them, you were probably bullied in middle school and have no idea what to tell them. Sadly for you, talking with them about this makes you relive the horror of middle school. Try to maintain your dignity. It's real. It's really real. And while I think this is generally good advice, I also think there's something to be said for the ways in which teenagers remind us of the fears we carry at our core. Inside our adult exteriors, each one of us carries a little sixth grader who's constantly worried about whether we'll fit in and if other people will like us. It's that little sixth grade voice that keeps us up at night, long after we should be in bed, scrawling through social media, looking to see what people are doing and eating, where they're going, to make sure that we can curate our social media image to fit in with what's trending. It's that little sixth grade voice that keeps us quiet when someone makes a joke that's offensive, or does something that's hurtful. We'll say, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, or 
I don't want to rock the boat. But really, what's true is we're afraid. Afraid of what could happen if we spoke up. Afraid of alienation. Afraid we'll feel like we did back in middle school. No one wants to go back to middle school. So I asked this now seventh grader, what's the big deal about fitting in? I mean, shouldn't we all want to stand out? Shouldn't we want to be seen for our most powerful, strong, unique selves? And instead of being seen as the person that can mimic others the best, why subscribe to the lowest common denominator? We turned back to our texts and learning with her, I saw something in the story of Moses that I have never seen before. Moses was a chronic outsider. He was born an Israelite, but thanks to Pharaoh's homicidal decree, he could not be raised in the Israelite community. He was adopted by Egyptian, by the daughter of Pharaoh, but she and her father certainly must have known he came from another people. Pharaoh never trusted him. And so Moses was never Egyptian enough to be Egyptian, never Israelite enough to be Israelite. He wanted to be a follower, to be part of the people, but God demanded that he become a leader. And even amongst leaders, he didn't feel like he fit in. Moses did not speak the way he thought leaders should speak. And he wasn't commanding the way leaders before him had been commanding. Moses goes on to marry a Midianite woman named Zipporah. Zipporah was neither Egyptian nor Israelite, neither a follower nor a leader. In some ways, she expressed the part of him that always felt like a foreigner, always felt like an outsider. And even though she was a really good woman, and even though she was a great wife, the Israelites never accepted her. They constantly berated her and pushed her out, ridiculing her for the ways in which her physical characteristics differed from their own. This all comes to a head in one particular scene. Moses, Miriam, and Aaron are all in the tent of meeting. And Miriam and Aaron confront Moses about the issue of his Cushite wife. Our commentators explain it. It wasn't as though they were raising valid concerns. This was an opportunity for them, in the privacy of the tent of meeting, to spew hateful rhetoric. And what does Moses do? Moses, the chronic outsider, in the face of this hate? He doesn't say, how dare you disparage my wife? How dare you say that about my beloved? He doesn't say, you know, Miriam and Aaron, that, that sounds a little racist. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Or even just, ouch. He doesn't say anything. He stays completely silent. God overhears, though, and God cannot stand by. 
God calls out and demands that Miriam and Aaron and Moses all leave the tent of meeting. And angrily, God castigates Miriam and Aaron for their evil speech. And God strikes Miriam with tzara'at, a condition that causes her skin to turn white and flaky. It's cosmic irony at its best. Here is Miriam, disparaging Tzipora because of the color of her skin, because of the darkness of her skin. And God turns her skin so white as to be inadmissible to the camp, as if God is saying, you think whiteness is so important? I'll show you what white supremacist thinking does to you. And here's what's just so interesting. Moses, who was silent in the face of hate, Moses, who could not even stand up to protect his wife, now stands up to protect Miriam. He prays to God, Anna, Elna, Rafana, La, please God, heal her now. And God listens. God listens. Miriam is healed. She spends seven days outside the camp, but then she is readmitted. We're taught to see this moment as a moment of powerful hearing. Hearing of God healing on behalf of Moses' cry. We're taught to see, wow, Moses was such a spiritual man. He was so connected with God that he just had to say, please, please God, heal her. We use his words as a model prayer. This prayer worked. When we want to pray for healing, let's say this, and then maybe God will grant our wish. But we don't talk about this moment as a moment of failure. We don't talk about this as Moses being a bystander, as Moses standing by while Miriam and Aaron hated on his wife and then supporting the very people who transgressed against him. I'm afraid in this moment. I'm afraid because I think all too many of us feel like Moses. We come into this world feeling like we are chronic outsiders. We have generations upon generations of trauma about not fitting in. Yes, it's true, we can walk through the world, those of us who have light skin, and we're red as white, but we know deep down we're not white enough. Those of us who are Jewish, we feel Jewish in our souls, but we know there are Jewish places we could go where we're not Jewish enough. And our historical memory teaches us it's not just middle school that makes that dangerous. It's life-threatening. Our history of pogroms, the Shoah, persecution, anti-Semitism teaches us that when we are singled out, our safety and security are at risk. And so we want so desperately to be accepted. We want so desperately to be a part of the American dream, to be a part of community. And we, like Moses, are at risk. The more we are afraid, 
of being singled out, of being pushed out, of losing our community, the more unable we are to take our role in history as this moment, to be agents of positive change, the more worried we are about fitting in, the less we're able to think critically about what we're fitting into, and the more we worry about how we are perceived, the less we are able to use our power and our privilege to stand up for those in need. Moses couldn't overcome his fear of alienation, his fear of being pushed out. He couldn't overcome his own discomfort. And as a result, when Miriam and Aaron spoke out against his wife, he experienced that as an affront to his identity, and he remained silent. We cannot afford to remain silent. We must do our part to speak out. We must do our part to learn. I, you know, I'd like to think, if Moses were around today, he'd be working with a therapist. He'd be sitting down and processing his own identity, processing the way he came into this world so that when that conversation came up, he'd be prepared. More than that, I'd like to think that Moses would be taking this opportunity to learn, to be reading the 1619 series in the New York Times, to be reading White Fragility, How to Be an Anti-Racist in the New Jim Crow. I'd like to think Moses would be upping his game. He couldn't overcome his time. He couldn't overcome the challenges of his identity. But we can. We can learn, we can grow, and we can do better. And that's why, as a congregation, as a community, we are embarking on a year-long journey of learning. We're going to be learning about the painful history of this country and the ways in which we unwittingly play into systemic injustice. We're going to be learning about implicit bias, about the ways we've absorbed racism without even realizing it. We're going to be owning our racism because that's a first step in healing it and in growing and in doing better. We're going to be reading books and learning from workshops, going to actions, and more than anything, we're going to be holding one another accountable. We will not stay silent. The challenge with being in sixth grade is that you don't know who you are going to become. Neither do we. We don't know who we can be. The challenge for every sixth grader and the challenge for every one of us is to work hard every day to become ever better versions of ourselves.